0: I'm Robin Amlo of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBSI iViews podcast. With me today, offering his take on the outlook for fintech in 2024, is Daniel Cohen, CEO of online payment service provider PayUGPO. And we begin with the broader macroeconomic trends influencing the financial technology sector. You know, you look across the
1: world, they're both kind of you know, geographical macro, you know, geospecific macro, as well as, you know, just the world and where the world is from a macroeconomic perspective. I think on the fintech, when you look at, you know, where the world is, the different recession levels in different countries, the fintech industry as a whole, as we see it, you know, is, is suffering from lower investments um, in general across the board. Within countries, that's where it gets very interesting. Uh, we operate in many different uh, regions. So we're operating in eleven countries in, in Latin America, three countries in Africa, uh, across Europe as well. Uh, with our core countries in uh, in Central Eastern Europe, it gets really interesting when you look at different countries like Argentina, for example, and different challenges with the Argentinian economy. Getting money out of Argentina is very challenging. With you know the government not having enough forex in its in its banks and his bank accounts and so it has been challenging for the different reasons but you know as the uh, as the industry does it innovates
0: and finds ways to uh, to still move that money and be successful let's move on to the outlook for mergers and acquisitions in fintech this i sometimes feel is like watching two drunks trying to prop each other up I think, you know, considering the first question in the macroeconomic conditions
1: and, and where investors are trying to find a bit more comfort in companies with more of a solid, you know, bottom line. And we see, you know, with all the, uh, the down rounds happening and valuations dropping, investors are, are looking for not just companies that that demonstrate growth, you know, top line growth, but also have a path to profitability. And and kind of you know that's where most of the investments the little investments there that were that's where they went. If I need to look into my crystal ball, I think the second half of uh, of this year of twenty twenty four will be a year where we see you know the investments pick up again. There are, there are a number of IPOs that uh, that are being lined up uh, to hit the market, and I think investors will will kind of defreeze a little bit, thaw, and uh, money becomes more available, but still. I have a feeling that the, the, the notion of pure startup just show me growth and, and lose as much money as you need to fuel that growth, I think that uh, notion in a way will pass, and, and you're still going to need to demonstrate as a company that you can grow and still be profitable.
0: Well, one of the things that struck me as paralleling what I'd seen over two decades ago in the, the dot-com boom, was that people were starting to talk in a similar way about burn rate. There was pride in how much money you were losing, which always struck me as slightly crazy. Yes, as all bubbles are. What you were talking about there just a moment ago was actually kind of about the funding of fintechs. But there has been a change in business attitude in terms of mergers and acquisitions within fintechs. FinTech on fintech, bank on fintech, financial institution on fintech. This wasn't just FinTech on financial institution. Yeah, but it wasn't just an exit strategy. It was actually a growth strategy, was it not?
1: I, I think that we've we've made our own acquisitions into you know financial institutions I think it has been primarily a growth strategy for the acquirers and and particularly, so let's look segment by segment. Like when you think about banks and financial institutions investing into fintech, that's basically banks trying to get on the digitalization bandwagon. We know that digitalization and and making banking easier and, and more accessible to people has always been a challenge. And you try and get, you know, The acceleration via an acquisition of a fintech; these acquisitions are very challenging because you think about the culture of a financial institution of a bank, and in most cases, it is as you imagine—you know, more bureaucratic, a bit more slower than a fintech that you know moves quickly. You know, people walking around in in flip flops and t-shirts and getting excited about technology. And those culture clashes are quite the challenge to manage. And so we see that. I wouldn't say many, but a fair share of, you know, the, the the financial institution acquiring fintechs go away. In terms of kind of the market investing into, into fintechs, IPOs or fintechs on fintechs, again, I think they're given also when you think about the regulatory landscape and how that is becoming more constrained, more complicated, business models are coming under more scrutiny which again comes back kind of connects in, in my mind and connects to the previous point that you know your investors want to see a path to profitability it's not just that you have a cool new idea in fintech that can potentially come under regulatory scrutiny show me how you know you, you're profitable
0: from this uh, from this idea you talked earlier on about some of the issues particularly i guess with reference to your own business payu gpo you're an online payment service you were talking about the example you gave was Argentina and the foreign exchange difficulties that Argentina has. What are your views on the way the cross-border payments market is evolving?
1: Every time you know, we, I speak about cross-border payments, we have to make kind of distinctions or swim lanes. You know, what, are, what are cross-border payments? And so they're the cross-border acquirers. So you're a buyer in, in England and you're buying something in Colombia and so you're acquiring cross border but that purchase can also be acquired locally and then the money can be wired or swifted back to the uh, back to the store and in that case you know when when you look at the cross border world it's all about i think where you're seeing most of the impact is around the agility and transparency of those payments of the cross border payment by the way you know swift is trying to make different moves to make itself uh, more transparent and you know speedier than it is today. Swift is it takes a number of days. You don't really know where the money is, et cetera. And so that's where you'll see crypto and uh, different crypto technologies uh, take up uh, space. By the way, you know, with financial institutions in mind, you're already seeing financial institutions leveraging blockchain technology, crypto technology, to move funds and manage funds, albeit internally uh, inside the bank. But those services are starting to become uh, available also to uh, to outside uh, parties. So I think over the next year, you know, crystal ball again, I think over the next year, we're going to continue to see a push to make uh, cross-border payments faster, better, more efficient, less
0: costly. Yep. But still in compliance with regulation because cross-border oh, are, is one area where you are going to run into regulatory issues. Anti-money laundering, terrorism finance—these things complicate the cross-border payments business like nothing else.
1: Like nothing else, I think in general, Robin. You know, you think about the compliance, and, and you know, we mentioned earlier, it is becoming more. I don't know if "complicated" is the word, but the requirements, the compliance burden, is becoming much heavier on fintechs. You know, we see it ourselves. We're processing for several hundred thousand merchants around the world. And the the requirements to keep verifying these merchants, you know, the anti-money laundering, the anti-terrorism, it used to be that you didn't have to re-verify merchants. Now, then you had to re-verify them once every 12 months. Now you have to re-verify them every six months. So the the compliance burden is definitely becoming heavier. And and of course, it also very much impacts the cross-border
0: payments that inherently are more riskier. This is one of the things about being in the fintech business, which I think a lot of fintechs have not still thought through properly. They are entering possibly the most highly regulated industry sector of all when you look at financial services. And frankly, as a user of financial services, whether as an individual or as a corporate, I want it to be highly regulated because I don't want my money going walkabout, thank you very much. Absolutely. And and you think just a few days ago there was a case of um, the fraud with a deep fake video.
1: $25 million were deep faked out of a company and transferred to accounts somewhere abroad. It's exactly as you say, Robin, that you know, you have all these startups thinking that they have this cool idea of, you know, moving money around, making money more accessible. And then, you know, in comes the compliance person with Very significant compliance requirements. And it very much burdens the operation. You see them suddenly slow down. They're they're no longer moving. You know, that idea of moving money so quickly is not so quick. And the scale of the operation becomes very critical because ultimately this compliance is, you know, the compliance requirements are very intensive from a human perspective. You need a lot of people to manage these kinds of operations and, and these kinds of skills. And that's where you can get into a lot of trouble. If you don't, you know, coming back, your bottom line, that's where you can get into trouble if you don't pay attention.
0: Well, it does make the bottom line, the profit on the bottom line, harder to achieve. Mentioned earlier, you're the chief executive officer of PayU GPO. How's business for PayU? Business is going very well for for PayU.
1: I can't can't share much. We're not a uh, publicly traded company. We're privately held. Um. So I can't share much, but it's been a very challenging year for us, as as it has for, you know, for fintech in general, practically dealing with everything we spoke about, right? A more burdensome regulatory environment, a deceleration in the market, given, you know, the, the economies, the inflations, the recessions, people are buying less and spending less. So it's been a, a very, very challenging year, but uh, we've done very well. What are your next steps for growth? So as as you probably know, we've uh, we ourselves were acquired fintech on fintech. Uh, Rapid uh, entered into an agreement to uh, to acquire PayU GPO, and, and we're now in the process of closing that deal. Um, so waiting for the regulatory approval to uh, to finalize. So a lot of that future growth is is about kind of what do we do together, and, and we're, we're yet to have those conversations within PayU itself. You know, looking at the different markets and the customer segments that we want to invest in. We're very much into expanding within the regions. Are, are the local expertise that we achieve, the depth of expertise that we achieve by serving, you know, the local merchants in any one of these countries, ultimately enables our global merchants to to enjoy, you know, local expertise and ease of of payments within these markets. So we're going to continue to invest in these areas of product. We have some interesting uh, products lined up for
0: release uh, throughout the year. Um, and continue to push hard and fight off the competition. Daniel Cohen, Chief Executive Officer of PayU GPO. thank you very much.